morning will be from Isaiah 1, verses 10 to 20. It can be found in your Pew Bible on page 1060. Isaiah 1, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has, has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you, you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Anita. This question probably would have been better asked while the kids were still in here. Who likes to play in the mud? There is something about getting in the dirt and playing in the dirt and, and feeling like you are doing something even if it is just moving the dirt from one side of the sandbox to the other. You enjoy getting in that space and getting in, in the dirt. And, and it may also be when you, as you grow up, it's not a sandbox, it is your garden that you like playing in. And you get that dirt in you and on you and all over you. The problem is you've got to come in and clean up. And that isn't always easy. In fact, we're going to enter this story today and, and hear about how Israel accumulated dirt on themselves and they could not get clean. And yet God said, make yourselves clean. Advent really begins at this place. A place where we are called to recognize that we are dirty. That we are dirty in ways that we cannot get ourselves clean from. And that we desperately, desperately need a Savior who can make us clean again. And I have to get used to that not being there. I keep looking this way today. 
There's two inconceivable things in this passage. The first is that Israel is called to make themselves clean, but they can't. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. You see, the two things that they have in front of them that they need to do, one is, is to stop a certain set of things that they are doing. They need to stop doing wrong. And the other is they need to start doing right. Problem is, they can't get either of those things done. They've been trying. If we were to read from the beginning of the first chapter, all, all the verses, here's some of the things we would encounter. God's people have become God's enemies. It is an incredibly shocking. It should cause our jaws to drop that God addresses his people Israel as Sodom and Gomorrah. God is looking at his people, his chosen people, and he's saying to them, you have become my enemies. You have become like Sodom and Gomorrah who I wiped from the face of the earth. And our jaws should drop and we should get a sinking feeling in our stomach. The God of the whole universe has turned his attention towards his people. And he's saying, something is wrong, terribly wrong. You don't look like my people. You don't act like my people. You don't sound like my people. In fact, you are much more like my enemies than anything else. Welcome to Advent. Anybody else feel a punch to the gut? Here's the things he starts saying to Israel in those first verses. They've rebelled against God. They've become a brood of evildoers. You know, like that. You're a brood of evildoers. They're given over to corruption. That means they're, they're bent. Their inclination is to find something that they could do wrong and go do it. They scheme, they plot to, to try and find a way to advantage themselves and disadvantage others. They've literally turned their backs on God. It says they've turned their backs on God. They were looking at God. At one time they were walking towards God. And they've literally turned around. And they're starting to walk the other way. You get the sense that they've actually been running the other way. There's a curious pairing in here. It says, your head is injured and your heart is afflicted. In other words, you can't even think straight anymore. You've got a spiritual relational concussion with me and you have no clue what's going on anymore. And on top of that, your heart is out of rhythm. It used to beat in rhythm with mine and now it's all over the place. Your heart's afflicted, your head's afflicted. Your affections are wrong and wrongly placed. Your head is thinking in things that it should not think. You have turned away from God. It's corrupted every part of you. And not only that, you can look out across your land. Your whole country is in disarray. Your cities are falling apart and overrun. Your fields are being taken over by foreigners. That's what it says. People who should never have a stake in the promised land now control it. All of those things should have been a clue that something was wrong. And Israel, Israel never slowed down to stop and say, hmm, something doesn't look right here. 
The promised land looks in trouble. It's not quite that land flowing with milk and honey anymore. What's going on? They didn't stop. It was becoming a wasteland. God's response, you aren't slowing down with any of this stuff. I'm going to turn my back on you. I won't accept your offerings. I won't accept your incense that you're supposed to burn before me as a prayer in the, in the tabernacle. I, I won't accept you coming into my courts. You, you don't belong here. I've not invited you anymore. I've disinvited you. Your new moons, your Sabbaths, all those festivals and assemblies where you call people to come together, I'm not going to accept them anymore. In fact, they're disgusting to me. They're abhorrent, is the word that Isaiah uses. And when you lift your hands in prayer, think about this. God's saying to his people, when you lift your hands in prayer, no longer receive them. Wow. I mean, these are all things that God commanded his people to do as part of their worship. And God has said, you have become so much my enemy, I can't accept any of your worship. Even if you are fulfilling the letter of what I have asked you to do, even if you offer those bulls and rams on the days and times I've appointed you to do so, I won't accept them. Even if you offer prayers, I will not receive them. Because of your unjust living. And he says it in one phrase. Your hands are full of blood. Your hands are full of blood. He is calling Israel out and saying, the way that you have been living, the way you've been living from the time you gather for worship until the time you come back for worship again is completely against me. And instead of giving life, you are taking life. You're destroying life. It's not the blood on the ground that calls out anymore as it did with Cain and Abel. It's the blood on your hands. You're not even trying to hide it from me. We can't make ourselves clean either. I don't know if you paid attention to these verses. We'll read them again here. Wash and make yourselves clean. Right after he said, I'm taking away all your worship, and your worship isn't going to make you clean anymore. Those offerings that were supposed to be for repentance and forgiveness, they aren't going to work. I won't re Figure out yourself how you're going to make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong. Get out of my sight with those evil deeds and stop them. And then, not only stop what you're doing wrong, but start doing right. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. How many of us start our day by saying, here's my agenda for the day. My agenda today is to stop doing wrong, number one. My agenda for today, number two, is to learn to do right. Number three is, in learning to do right, to seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. 
God's saying to Israel and to us, this should set your schedule. This should set the priorities by which you live. This is to conform you to my image and my character because these are the things that God reveals again and again that he's at work doing. And if we are to be his people, we need to be doing them. The only problem is we can't get there on our own. Our sin has pushed us away from God and left us in a place that, that we, even in our best efforts, can't make ourselves clean. Even in our best efforts, we can't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we've certainly shown that we can't love our neighbors as ourselves. Stop doing wrong. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer five. Normally, we, we stop at question and answer one because we like that one. It's the comfort one. Right after that, it gets into the misery and the things that are wrong, and we like to skip over that part and jump to the end where it's all happy, happy again because Jesus has welcomed us in. But there's this important part about our misery and our sin that the first Sunday of Advent calls us to pay attention to. Can you live up to all this perfectly? And the all this refers to the, the two great commands, love God, love your neighbor. Can you do that perfectly? No. Actually, I have a natural tendency to hate God and hate my neighbor. We were here for Josiah's ordination yesterday morning, and, and Sid Helema was, was preaching a bit, and, and he quoted Anne Lamont and talked about Anne Lamont saying, you know, at times, God, I don't want to love you. In fact, I don't even want to want to love you. I want to want to want to love you. It, it gets that far removed. We have this space in us where, where our, our natural inclination is to turn against God and our neighbor. Can we learn to do right? Well, catechism addresses that too. A few questions later, it, it says this. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? And the simple, straight answer is yes. <laughs> we are so corrupt that on our own, on our own, left to our own devices, if God removes all his supports from us, we can't do good. Unless the Spirit is at work in us and we're left on our own, we can't love God. Our sin gets in the way. Our inclination of our heart gets in the way of us loving our neighbor. We look out for ourselves. It's the sin from the garden. Not only was it that, that they didn't go out and fill the earth and, and cause it to flourish like they were called to, but, but they stood in that garden and they got pretty selfish. You notice how quickly it goes from from. Were you hiding? Did you take from the, the tree that you weren't supposed to? Yeah, but it's the woman's fault. And the woman goes, yeah, but it's the snake's fault. Yeah, but I'm going to throw whoever I need to under the bus to make myself look okay here. Our inclination since the garden is to look out for ourselves, not to love God, not to love our neighbors. This is where we begin. Oscar Romero he's a arch, was an archbishop uh, in Latin America, and he, he wrote this on Christmas Eve one year, shortly before he died. No one can celebrate a genuine Christmas without being truly poor. The self-sufficient, the proud, 
those who, because they have everything, look down on others, those who have no need even of God, for them there will be no Christmas. Only the poor, the hungry, those who need someone to come on their behalf will have that someone. That someone is God, Emmanuel, God with us. Without poverty of spirit, there can be no abundance of God. If we think we have it all together, if we think on our own terms, yeah, we're good enough, yeah, we've done a few things wrong, but you know, we've done more good than right, and we think that allows us to come before God however we want, whenever we want, we are dead wrong. We are dead wrong because we're still trying to live on our own terms. And we're still trying to prove to God that we're good enough for him by our own measure, by our own standards. And we haven't gotten to a point of being bankrupt in our own hearts and our own souls to say, you're right, Lord. You're right. I have sinned. I have sinned against you and against my neighbor. I am guilty as charged. And Advent ushers us into that space to prepare us to receive the Lord. And in preparing us to receive the Lord, we need to come to a space where our hands become empty and our hearts become empty. We say to God, I'm sorry. It's me. It's my sin that caused you to need to come. Jesus said it this way. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, those who think they have it all together, but sinners. Advent to give us the hope of the gospel, requires us to come before God humbly, to get on our knees before him. Say, you're right, Lord. I am a sinner. And it's in that space, when we've come to the end of our own resources, when we've come to the end of our own efforts, that God does the next unconceivable thing in this passage. Come now. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God who says, your worship and your sacrifices are insufficient. They are faulty. Who has left us in a place where we recognize we cannot make ourselves clean, says there is still a way. And God conceives of a way to give us a new life, to restore us in relationship with him and with each other so that once again we can love God and love our neighbor. And, and that conceived idea of God is articulated this way in the Gospel of Matthew. An angel speaking to Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, both from the things that they have been doing wrong and the things that they have left undone. God has conceived of a way. His son, Jesus Christ, being born of the Virgin Mary, dwelling in our flesh, 
becoming one with us in our temptations, in our suffering, but not sinning. So that in him, in his perfection, in his righteousness, in his sacrifice, we might become children of God. And that's what we are. Restored, not by our own efforts, but by a God who says, I refuse to leave you dirty. I will make you clean. And the good news is we don't even have to clean ourselves up a little bit to receive this. It's when we are at our worst and at our brokenness, at that great place of hopelessness, that God speaks and says, even here, even when you are farthest from me, there is hope because of my son Jesus Christ. Paul, writing to the Romans, says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still God's enemies, Christ died for us. That's the good news. That's the good news of this Advent season. That's the good news of the whole year. That while we were still sinners, Christ was born. Christ lived among us. Christ died. Christ was raised from the dead and ascended on high. And Christ is coming back to make all things new. While we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. Let's pray. We need your hope, Lord, because we are helpless sinners. Apart from your intervention, we are dead. We are your enemies. We don't know how to love you or love our neighbors. We have been consumed with trying to love ourselves by ourselves. Forgive us. Forgive us for those things that we have done wrong and the evil that we have perpetuated in this world. And forgive us for the things we have left undone, the righteousness that we have failed to pursue. Forgive us. Rescue us. Save us by your Son and by him alone we pray. Amen.